Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for today's episode, we are going to be discussing the second Black Sabbath album, Paranoid. Released in September of 1970, Paranoid would go on to be one of the best-selling Black Sabbath albums and would contain some of their most recognizable songs, like War Pigs, the title track, and Iron Man. So Darren, what are your early memories of hearing Paranoid for the first time? Well, the first song I heard was Paranoid, title track. And we've talked about this before. This wasn't my first Black Sabbath album, but it was the album that made me a fan. And the reason why, well, it was, it was the first two songs. Um, War Pigs, and then Paranoid is probably the ultimate one-two punch on any rock record. It's definitely my favorite. And, um, you know, so th this was basically the album that made me a Black Sabbath fan. The first album that I heard was Never Say Die. And, and like we talked about before, um, wasn't really what I hoped it would be when I heard it. Um, I was expecting something a lot heavier. It really wasn't, and we all know what "Never Say Die" sounds like, and we'll get on, we'll get to that later on in the in the podcast. But, but basically, "Paranoid" was the album that was blacks was what I had hoped Black Sabbath would sound like, and my first impression was just basically being blown away. Um, and, and to this day. This song, Paranoid, is probably one of my all-time favorite songs. It's one of those songs that I can always, can always listen to. If it comes on the radio, I'm, I'm not going to turn it off. Over time, I, War Pigs has... There was a time when I had probably heard it enough, um, but it runs in cycles. And I think at this point, you know, every time I hear it on the radio, I'm, I'm inclined to listen to it all the way through. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Black Sabbath Paranoid is, is probably one of the reasons why I'm, I'm into the music that I'm into. It, it really, uh, it, it was the second plateau for me as far as, as far as music goes. First plateau was Kiss, and that took me from about 76 to 79, 78, 79, and then from 79, 80, um, everything was just built on Black Sabbath. And Paranoid was the album that really did that. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting how it, it, this was the, I was thinking of this today, it's the only Black Sabbath album when I was getting them early on that I heard a bunch of the songs before I bought it. Because as we all know, this is uh, the album that has the most songs to get radio airplay. And so... I used to listen to this radio station, Rock 107, shout out to Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
uh, that used to do rock blocks at, they called them rock blocks, where at, at nine or 10 o'clock at night, they would play, pick an artist, play three songs in a row from that artist. And they used to always play War Pigs, Paranoid, Iron Man. Those were the three main ones. Sometimes you got uh, Fairies Wear Boots. And maybe they would throw in for something not from that album, Children of the Grave. And that was, so I used to record the show. And so before I even got the album, I was, had already heard four of the songs. And the only other, but the only with Master of Reality, I had heard Children of the Grave before I got that. But when I got the first Black Sabbath album of volume four, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, I had, hadn't heard any of the songs on those albums before I got them. But with Paranoid, I had heard these songs from the radio. So for me, it was about hearing, I knew that there were other songs on the record, of course, and it was about hearing okay, boy, I wonder what Planet Caravan sounds like. I wonder what Hand of Doom sounds like. Uh, I wonder what Rat Salad. I remember being obsessed with like the Rat Salad. What could that be about? <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I, I love the song, but I think at the time I was expecting like, man, what is this going to be about? I don't even think they know what the derivation of that was either. <laughs> I was expecting lyrics in it, you know, and I didn't even, I, I, I didn't get, I was like, what are the lyrics in Rat Salad going to be about? So when, when I got Paranoid, which I had, I borrowed it from a friend who had an older brother that had it, and I brought it home and I taped it for myself. I was already well into, I well knew War Pigs, Paranoid, Iron Man, Fairies Wear Boots. It was just sort of filling in the dots uh, and hearing them in the order that they were intended for on the album and uh, seeing the album cover. It's, it's, it sounds crazy. This is, this is way before the internet. So I didn't even know what the album cover looked like. I was just hearing this on the radio. I had just gotten... Uh, like you, I was into Kiss in the late 70s, but I didn't really go full throttle into hard rock and heavy metal till I heard ACDC in 1980. And it was right around pretty much that exact same time that I started hearing Black Sabbath. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is different than ACDC, but I, but I really love this. And I had to, I had to, I had to get all their albums as quickly as I could. And, and yeah, Paranoid was... Paranoid was the first one. And even to this day, it's like you mentioned, uh, I, if I added it up, I've heard the songs on Paranoid more than I've heard any other Black Sabbath songs, probably, especially with the radio airplay that they get and the fact that they play a lot of those songs live. But I don't turn it off when it comes on the radio. Just the other day, I, I listened to Paranoid from from top to bottom and I get just as much enjoyment out of it today as I did back then. It's, it's a great sounding album. Every song is great on it. Uh, the production is great. The songs are, are fantastic. And it still, it still works for me. It is certainly a top five, top three uh, metal album of all time for me. It's a top three album uh, of in my personal 
personal musical life. Uh, it's just a fantastic album. It has aged <laughs> magnificently and I, it never gets old for me. I, I can still listen to it. And just the other day walking, went for my morning walk and I was listening to it and I was noticing some things that I just did, never noticed before. And I've listened to this album probably thousands of times and there's still, every time I listen to it, I still, I still get something from it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um, every time I listen to it, I enjoy it. Um, and, and this is the album that I would say if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I've never heard black Sabbath before. What album should I start with? I would say paranoid. And the reason is because there's, there's such a variety, um, on the album, you know, we have like going from war pigs and, you know, the sound of that, to the more faster tempo, shorter, paranoid, and then Planet Caravan, which is really kind of psychedelic and spacey, and then uh, Iron Man, which is sort of, you know, <laughs> like the heavy one of the heavy metal, all-time heavy metal anthems next to probably Godzilla. And I think Godzilla by Blue Oyster Cult was sort of, in response to Iron Man, <laughs> if, if the story is, t is told uh, accurately. But, um, you know, I, it, it's just one of those albums that I, I, I think, if I, if I was going to recommend a place for somebody who was interested in Black Sabbath to start, it, it, it would be Paranoid. It's just solid. Um, and it would be weird if somebody hadn't heard these songs because it's, you know, it's a staple of classic rock radio. It's it's a heavy metal album. Um, you know, the songs have been everywhere. I, even even in the Marvel movie Iron Man, at the at the very end, I think while the credits were rolling, they played yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> it's yeah. funny when I saw that movie, I was like, well, they're gonna use the Sabbath song Iron Man, right? And I'm watching the movie, and I expected it maybe in the scene where he comes out of a cave for the first time in the in an Iron Man <laughs> costume. And I'm like, okay, they're gonna do it, right? They're gonna, no, they don't. And then finally, at the end of the movie, he does the uh, at the press conference the I'm Tony Stark and I am Iron Man. <laughs> and then it kicks yeah. in. It's just as his class. I mean, it's iconic. My my kids, my parents recognize that song it's something you hear at sports stadiums it's sort of trans it's it's one of those songs that uh, defines heavy metal it sort of transcends transcends time everybody whether they know it or not has has heard that song probably heard paranoid also so and you're right it does it i think the album uh we talked about with with the first album on the last uh podcast episode that they were maybe still searching for their sound a little bit. They were still had some remnants of their days as a blues band uh, with the covers and, and everything like that. But on Paranoid for me, which, which is amazing because Paranoid came out in the same year as, as the first album. It only came out like six, eight months later, which is just, just incredible that bands back then, you could release two incredible albums that close to each other but to me paranoid it, it's just when it all comes together for them and when the black sabbath sound is really there it touches off all the boxes you've got the heavy 
doomy riffs of the song Iron Man or Hand of Doom. You've got the swingy grooviness of, of uh, fairies wear boots and rat salad. Uh, you've got the big epic-y type thing in War Pigs. You've got the trippy Planet Caravan. Geezer's lyrics are in full display with the war theme, War Pigs, Hand of Doom, environmental uh, topics like electric funeral and, and spacey trippy planet caravan. It's just, it, it all comes together on this record. I think it was really a collaborative album too. I, I think everybody really contributed probably more so um, in, in doing some research for this, this episode, I, I came across some various sources and they, they, they talk about everyone's contribution. Um, and, and Ozzy was was really uh, a big contributor to, to this album too, especially with the vocal melodies. And um, well, we'll get into it by on the track by track thing. But um, I, I think Planet Caravan was pretty much his his concept uh, lyrically. I don't think Geezer did much to those lyrics. I think that was pretty much Ozzy. And, As you know, was uh, Fairies Wear Boots, if I remember. I think that Ozzy may have written all of those lyrics on Fairies Wear Boots, right? Or if he didn't, he had a big part in it. I, I, Ozzy would come in with a, on at least half the album, Ozzy would come in with a concept, and that's what he would riff off of. And some of the lyrics wouldn't necessarily make sense, and some of them were sort of a little bit, you know, bad English. So they would basically record it and then geezer and ozzy and probably bill too would go over but predominantly geezer would go over and and fine-tune the lyrics and make them cohesive but oftentimes it would sort of go off of what ozzy came up with um, yeah if you listen if you listen to uh for for the people out there that maybe if they haven't heard this encourage you to get there's deluxe uh remastered versions of the early albums and for the paranoid album there's bonus disc that has you can hear early versions of paranoid where ozzy is like like darren just said riffing on the lyrics sort of he's just sort of making making lyrics up on the spot and you hear certain words here and there that ended up in the in the final song uh which, which sort of illustrates how they sort of operated back then they tony iomi would have a riff they would jam around on it. Ozzy would sing a melody line, kind of making up gibberish style words. A couple phrases or lines here and there would stick. There'd be a title or something, and Geezer would sit down and flesh out the lyrics, and, and they would have a song. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy was just as much of a musician as anybody else in the band. He used his voice as an instrument while Tony was playing guitar, Bill was figuring out what tempo to play what beat to play geezer was working on bass lines ozzy was riffing with his voice and that's how they jammed and you know i don't think anybody necessarily well i mean okay so with this album basically and this is one of the most amazing things about this album to me and i, I and i just discovered this in the course of like looking up some little factoids about it to discuss for this episode but this album was predominantly written while they were on tour uh, for six weeks uh, the, during their, their tour to support the first album. 
It was written, moving, you know, in the van from show to show. Some of it was actually written on stage. Uh, the way that they performed Warning on that tour, there was uh, a section that basically spawned War Pigs. And yeah. they went into the studio. They remembered that jam and, you know, applied that and, and basically built a song around it. So, you know, when you think about it, it was pretty much the same sort of a thing as, as the first album where it was all just an extension of a live set and it was very organic. It wasn't as though they were separated and reconvened and then said, well, what do you got? Well, I've, I've got this riff and well, I've got these lyrics or I've got this melody to put to that. I mean, it was all jammed out live situation, all, you know, basically them working together either in a van or in a room or on a stage. So I think that's pretty cool. But what I thought was kind of amazing about it was the short amount of time that all this came together. Six weeks is a really short time to put out an album that went on to make the impact that this did. Yeah. And I was just thinking in my head that Paris 70 video, was that recorded before or after? Paranoid came out. Oh, it was definitely recorded after because Paranoid wasn't written uh, prior yeah. to the studio. The, the song Paranoid, that was... Right. Well, they had some extra time. And uh, I don't know if it was Tom Allen or it was Roger Bain that said... Uh, okay, the record label needed one, needed them to fill out. They needed another song for the record needed, label, another yeah. three to four minutes. So, and they so just the wrote that the on the spot, basically. Well, the rest of the band, uh, Tony stayed in the studio and was basically trying to figure something out. And, and the rest of the band went out to get lunch. And when they came back, Tony said, oh, check this out. And then they all just, you know, they liked it. It sounded cool. And they, and they built a song around his riff in, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, because there's, there's some, uh, you can hear some versions of War Pigs with the different lyrics, and that's why it was making me think, because I think at the Paris 70 show, he sings those different yeah. lyrics. Does yeah. he? Yeah, he does. Um, some, I, I think he mixes them both up, but I, I, I think that's probably because, you know, Ozzy would oftentimes forget lyrics. And, and I think the original lyrics, well the, well, the original version of War Pigs was called Walpurgis. And the label, the record label rejected it because they thought it was too satanic. So uh, they went back to the drawing board and they tweaked the lyrics. Um, you know, Giza wrote basically, you kept with the same basic theme, but took some of the more evil imagery out and replaced it with more of a political, it became more of a protest song than a, you know, yeah. Black Sabbath, the song part two sort of thing, which I think it was more or less originally conceived to be. Uh, but uh, so those, those lyrics, I, I think, were established. Well, they, they were established before the version that ended up on the album. And it's most likely, I mean, just if I had to hazard a guess, I would say that Ozzy probably committed those early lyrics more to memory than the new lyrics. And I'm going to say, we'd have to look and see when the date of that show. Do you know offhand what the date of that show was? I know that, that the album was released in September 18th, 1970. Do you, I, I think that show was in September. 
As yeah, a, that's why. Because it doesn't doesn't they say in uh, on December twentieth? Yeah, uh, December twentieth. I'm looking right now. Okay. So it was yeah. right after a month or two after the album the album had come out because I thought they even say like this is from our new album or and I know yeah he did like make references to 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 the to the paranoid album so yeah yeah, I guess that show was just a month or two after after the album had been released had been recorded because it was released on September 18th and you said that show was on September 20th that was no no December Oh, December. Okay. December 20th. Yeah, yeah, a couple months later. Yeah, so everything was really, really new. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what happened. He was just probably singing the old songs. Because those were the established lyrics. And the record company was like, mm, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, because there's a few different versions you can hear of him singing those, those, those lyrics. You can, uh, there's, yeah. there's those John Peel sessions. There's that, I think it's from Germany, that, that video that came out not too long ago where there's just a little clip of them. They're outside somewhere playing war pigs in the big open air, uh, like amphitheater type thing. And he sings the different lyrics on that. So, yeah, I'm guessing that, like you said, they probably had those and then changed them, I think, for the better. I, I like the, the lyrics that are, that are on the album. Yeah. I, and when we, when we talked about, when we talked about the last album, the, the first Black Sabbath album, you, you had asked about that. And I said it was probably Ozzy just riffing. But then I, after I thought about it, I, I remember that there was a, an early version of War Pigs that was called Walpurgis. And I think I referenced the, the different title, but I wasn't sure what lyrics were really established um, in the early working version of that. It seems that consistently when those alternate lyrics were sang or sung that they were, they were pretty much the same. Yeah. The dead rats innards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See them early. eating dead rats innards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, I would respect a Black Sabbath uh, tribute band if, if they did War Pigs and they sang the original Walt Disney cool. lyrics. <laughs> that would be cool. I'd get behind that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I also got to say, uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back on something that I said on the previous podcast where I, where I said that I thought that uh, maybe the first Black Sabbath album had Bill Ward's best drum sound. But nah, I think Paranoid is the drum sound on Paranoid is probably his best drum sound. And I'll even go a step further and say that this might be his best drumming in Black Sabbath is on the Paranoid album. What, what say you as a drummer? Well, you know, he, he definitely is rat salad, man. That's, <laughs> that's his Moby Dick or his it toad. Is Moby Dick, but it's just, you can just tell that it's completely improv. There was no phrasing that went into that. I, I don't think he had any. I think that was completely off the cuff. And it's it you know technically it's not it's not really good, but it's great in what it is, which is you know there's a lot energy. of a lot it's of got energy, a lot of energy, a lot of energy, a lot of spirit, and very live sounding. So. Yeah, I mean, the thing that bothers me, though, about the drums on Paranoid is they're so closely mic'd. And there's a couple times, and most people probably don't even notice it, but some people probably do. Bill hits the mic more than a couple times. But the thing is, they're so closely 
I, I, I get the impression, I don't, I don't know what the studio notes are, but I get the impression there's a, there's a close mic to the top of the head and there might even be a mic inside the drum. Maybe yeah, they definitely have a very upfront, uh, I wouldn't say completely dry, but they're, they're definitely really sort of and they sound close good. sounding. Yeah. And they sound really out of tune too. And I, I, I know I, I, I was curious what, what he's actually playing, what, what his drum set is on that, on that session. And I know that he's playing, um, he's playing a 12 inch rack tom, which kind of gives it that really high end sound. It, it's almost wonky that, that yeah. rack tom when it goes, when he goes from the snare to the rack tom and then, and especially you notice it especially in in rat salad because he's playing the entire kit so there's there's a lot of contrast between his rack tom and his floor tom and the sound of his snares he has a really nice snare drum sound but overall yeah i mean his, his drumming is, is is fantastic uh the uh the the breakaway part in electric funeral really jazzy you know, yeah. a lot of finesse in that. I, I don't think there were too many other rock drummers playing that that sort of a thing. You know? Not in that heavy of a context, for, no, for no. sure. And the same thing in uh, in Fairies Wear Boots. That song just has a has a swing to it. Boom, ba, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, and the way him and Geezer just swing in that song. I mean, to me, that's really like the formula, the, the, the Black Sabbath formula that, that a lot of people don't get is their blues and jazz influence and the way that comes through. And so even in War Pigs, you know, that's, that's like, a, uh, like a triple meter thing. You know, it has like a kind of a swing to it. Oh, it definitely beginning. does, yeah. And when the hi-hat thing comes in in the, in the verses, uh, fairies wear boots, especially to me, it's just all about sort of that groove between Bill and and Geezer. And that, to me, is sort of the secret sauce, if you will, to Black Sabbath. And yeah, oh, definitely. Their, their, their jazz and blues rhythmic feel and influence. And even uh, Rick Rubin, I saw him allude to that in, in, in interviews where he talked about when he first got them together, what he talked to them about was jazz and blues. And because that's where they were coming from in those early days, they, they weren't thinking metal where, when, when you get into Sabbath in the, in the nineties and late eighties, they're a little bit more of a, they, they don't have quite as much of a swing to the playing at that, at that point in their career. But here early on, it's the first album, the second album, it, it, it's all over it, that blues and jazz influence. And I think Rick Rubin really honed in on that and was like, okay, guys, this is where the headspace, to get back into this self-titled, paranoid, master of reality headspace, you got to think about and listen to some of those old blues records, some of those old jazz records you guys used to listen to, because really that's, that's where they were coming from. And they just, yeah. they just made it then. So you've got the, the swing of, of Geezer and Bill, and then you, you put in that heavy, thick guitar sound of Tony Iommi and his minor key riffs. And, that, and then you put Ozzy's 
unique voice on top of it. That is the equation, how you, how you get, form Black Sabbath. You take any, any of those elements out and it, it's, it's not going to sound the same. No, but the thing that's really cool about, about Black Sabbath is, is the rhythm section. Uh, it's so fluid. It's not stiff. You, you could say, well, Geezer and, and, and Bill Ward lock in so tight, but they're still really fluid. You know, there's a lot of finesse with, with Bill's playing. He's, you can just hear that he's, he's practically, you know, he's, he's dancing while he, he's playing. You know, he's just, he's, he's. Oh, yeah, his drum reacting. fills and war yeah, and fairies wear boots are just, just great. He's reacting to the music. He's feeling it. He's he's in the moment, and likewise, so is Geezer. He's like he's not just you know following the guitar riff. He's he's all over the place. Yeah. But it it still he the the two of them really lock in and, and build this solid foundation that you know allows Tony to you know just create those massive riffs and and you know his solos. His solos are are really interesting and and. and kind of freeform jazzy in their own right too. Yeah. I always think of that change in Iron Man when they're coming out of the bum 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 it's like this gear shift, but they just land on it just like they're all one mind. They just spot. It is just spot on, and it's just a sign of a band who had just had a lot of gigs under their belt, were totally gelled with each other. They, they just locked in with each other. There's a special chemistry amongst those four guys that I love all eras of Black Sabbath, but there is certainly a unique chemistry when, when the four original guys are together. And, and on this album, they're just, they're just firing on all cylinders. They're young, they're hungry. Uh, their 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 chops are together. Their the, the band is super tight. It's just a lot yeah. of forward momentum in their career. It's just it's it's all clicking for me for them at this point in in their career. It's just solid jamming, you know. Um, it's pretty much what it is. You, you, you get a band that's been playing for the amount of time that they have, put them in the studio, and and that part that you referenced in uh, in Iron Man. Uh, you know that 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 lock in, ba 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 boom boom, come in so tight, everybody on the same page, one take. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, and it's funny because I was watching uh, some time ago. I was watching classic albums, and yeah. they had the paranoid thing, and Henry Rollins basically said the same exact thing you did. He's like yeah. that 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 change. It's like brilliant. It's like wow. He's right. It, it, <laughs> Like you don't really realize it. I mean, when you're listening to it, and, and you know, if you're not in a band, it's not that it's exclusive, but you appreciate it more if you are in a band because you know how how difficult it is for everybody to reach an agreement and be on time and that tight with that sort of a a, a downshift. You really appreciate it more if you if you you know been in a band or if you even jam with people. You, you know how hard it is to get that to just lock in like that. Absolutely. But, um, well, I do remember, though, when I first got the record, being a little puzzled by the album cover. I remember thinking, is that, okay, What what is this? As a young kid, I wasn't 100% sure what the word paranoid meant. And, and we all learned the story later on that the album was originally intended to be called War Pigs. And so uh, some 
some dude running around in the forest with a fluorescent sword and a shield <laughs> would have made more sense <laughs> with the title War Pigs. But I remember when I got the record, I was just like, what is, what is going on here? And I remember thinking, is that Tony Iommi, uh, the guy with the sword? <laughs> I just remember not, not having any idea what it meant. And I remember not knowing what the word paranoid even meant. I remember thinking like it was uh, some sort of like, you're going crazy, which I guess it is you know, to, to, to a degree, but I thought it was, I don't know. I just, I had no idea what the word paranoid meant. And I remember trying thinking like, maybe it has something to do with like this, this album cover. And <laughs> it's just, I, I it's an interesting cover. I, I think I've seen and, and read Geezer explaining that a couple times. And he said, yeah, we just like the word paranoid. It's not, you know, it doesn't yeah, because really the lyrics it, it, in the song don't really, it's more about a depressed guy yeah. breaking up with his girlfriend. It doesn't have really anything to do with, with the definition of, of, of paranoid. But yeah, the word just, just sounds cool. So. And you know, the lyrics, whenever there's lyrics like that, um, and, and it was, what's, what's funny about it is the lyrics in Paranoid aren't that different from the lyrics in the song a loner uh on 13 and it really shows well first of all i i think that that's an extension of based on some of the evidence that i've compiled that it, that's largely an extension of geezer's personality he was sort of that kid that was sort of introverted and a little withdrawn from society went you know more inside of his own head uh kind of had the uh, maybe misconception from the people from the outside world that he was sort of unhappy when in reality he was just sort of figuring things out. And it's funny because as song paranoid, the lyrics were written as you know, geezer is a young man, relatively speaking. And then fast forward to 13, which came out what, about seven years ago or so yeah. as a, as an older man. And, and there really aren't, there's not, not a whole lot of difference between them, but I think that that, that whole introverted, uh, introspective lyric theme is, is largely Geezer's influence uh, on the music of Black Sabbath. Sure. I now, you know, they found the girl who was the model on the cover of the first Black Sabbath album after what, 50 years, they, they finally yeah. found out who she was about a year ago. Now they got to find out who the guy was on, on the cover with the sword and the shield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have suspected that it's Tony Iommi, but I, I've never heard anything to, to validate that. Yeah. It would be interesting to see. He's, you know, probably wouldn't even recognize him now. That's going to have to be my next, for this Halloween, maybe that should be my Halloween costume. That would be cool. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. I wonder how many people would recognize you. Oh, you're the guy from the Black Sabbath. <laughs> yeah, but for those people that would recognize it, it would totally be. What my mind would be blown if I was out somewhere and I saw somebody on Halloween dressed like that. I, I would just be floored. So, I, yeah, I always think that would be really cool. All right. Well, let's 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 talk about the songs on the record. We've sort of talked a little bit about some yeah, of them already, them. but. So War Pigs, what did you think so, the first time you heard War Pigs? Ozzy's voice was the first first thing that struck me. And in fact, I think the 
the thing that I that resonates the most with me on this album. I mean, I love the guitar playing. I love the the very audible bass. I love I love Bill Ward's drums. I love everything about the album. But the thing that really resonated with me the most was Ozzy's voice. The way that he sings those verses, those those lines, just comes through so authoritative. He's so above the mix. And in in my mind, when I was listening to the to the album for the first time, I just could see this, and, and it was largely aided by the picture of the band inside the gatefold where the camera's sort of looking up, you know, the standing, we all know the picture where they're standing in the field, the camera's sort of looking up at them all. And I, whenever I listen to Paranoid, in fact, when I still listen to War Pigs, that's the image of Ozzy. When I'm listening to Ozzy's voice, I see that image of him and you're looking up at him like he's standing up, you know, on top of a mountain and he's singing it these lyrics down to everybody. It has, it carries a, a lot of authority. And uh, I think that's really cool. And, and I don't know that there's anybody that to this, well, there's a lot of imitators, people that have tried to sound like Black Sabbath, but I think they were pretty, pretty much peerless when it came to those vocals, Ozzy's vocals. And it was the, the one thing that really appealed to me the most. So my first impression was definitely the vocal sound of Ozzy's voice and that. Uh, the oh, music, yeah. riffs, everything else was so cool. But what really caught my attention, what really like, just made me really get into it, was Ozzy's voice. Yeah, and the whole start-stop, the way it stops and the yeah. hi-hat underneath, and Ozzy, Ozzy singing over that is just great. And I remember, uh, as a Catholic school kid, you know, the the uh, Satan laughing spreads his wings line. And there was there was a kid I remember in my my class in in grade school, Catholic school, and he had written on his religion book. <laughs> you used to have those brown bag covers on your yeah, cool books, and, and he had written "Satan laughing spreads his wings." You know that's just just so awesome. And and uh, the opening chord of that song is it, it is just such a heavy song it is uh, and it's not like iomi is playing a lot but just him holding out that chord and one really cool thing i noticed when i was listening to it the other day that i, I never really noticed before and i guess it's just a, a way they mixed it where he hits that opening chord and it feeds back a little bit and the guitar is in the right channel but the feedback is in the left channel which is oh it's just it's just awesome. And that chord, his guitar sound, it's so thick. I remember when I saw them in uh, Camden and they opened with that song and there was a, uh, a, a curtain covering the stage before uh, blocking the stage before they came on. And mm -hmm. they had big uh, screens over, over the top and they were showing images, slow motion, images of vietnam era helicopters oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of flying to you right so it was making that like whoa, 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 sound you know and the helicopters mm -hmm. were coming closer and the curtain dropped and it was timed absolutely perfectly where that first chord hit right when the curtain hit the ground and i swear to you it was the heaviest thing i ever heard in my life i <laughs> thought the earth was going to open up i thought that it was just yeah. It one chord, it is, and I can still listen to that today. And when that first chord kicks in, because it has, there's this little bit of a millisecond, like, Bram, where it just like, it just comes in and it, it is just so heavy. It's so classic. And it has one of my favorite 
Iommi guitar solos. It's, it's Iommi at his best when his guitar solos are, are riffs unto themselves. And it's that yeah. part at the end where everybody sings, everybody in the crowd always sings along when you get oh, there. Yeah. The dum, bum, bum, ba, da, da. Leading up to that part is every time, I'm getting shivers up my spine thinking about it now. Every t- when that part kicks in right there, that is just so epic. It is so cool. That is a song that you hear when you're getting ready, when you go to a concert, doesn't matter what it kind of metal show it is, a death metal show, black metal show, whatever. How often do you hear that song get played over the PA system while you're waiting oh, for the band yeah. to come on? And everybody in the crowd just sings along with it. That riff kicks in. It is just classic. It's Iomi at its best. It's the band at its best. The whole guitar solo thing with Geezer going nuts underneath them, playing like all that fast lines and they're just jamming out really hard in the middle section. And then it drops back down and Ozzy's like voice comes back in, man. Is it, Oh, Lord, yeah, that's the, oh, just the whole it, thing. It, it is probably just... is the, the quintessential Black Sabbath song. It, 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 it's one of those songs you can hear at a ball game. You can hear it at any heavy metal or rock concert. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, it transcends different, different things. It, it, it's just one of those songs. It's, it's completely iconic, and I think it's, probably when you're talking about Black Sabbath and even like a casual person who's casually familiar with the band would probably say, oh yeah, yeah, the, the band that does that. What's the name of that song, War Pigs? You know, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's a classic song. And, and, and for pretty much the reasons you're talking about, it's just it's very emotive. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many different things going on in it. Um, it, it really, uh, it, it reaches inside pulls pulls out a lot of emotion uh, not only from the lyrical subject matter but from, from the way that, that the music sounds you know the different things you don't even have to listen to the lyrics you just hear the voices and instrument the wailing the way that ozzy's almost like he's like on the on the brink of of just like despair you know which is kind of like the ozzy sound and, and most of what he was singing at this time uh but the you know the heavy guitar riff that you know wasn't so much aggressive, just very dense. Um, yeah, it's it feels incredibly effective song. And that concert that you're talking about, I remember that. I remember that 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 curtain and and the the war scenes. And I, I think that I'm going to say that that was. You said it was in Camden. I'm going to say, was that 2001 when Bill Ward yeah. rejoined? Yeah. Okay. Bill Ward was in the band, and that's when Rob Halford yeah. sang. Ozzy didn't didn't sing that night. Okay, then I I didn't. And I guess I didn't see that because I know that I, I saw them. Yes, I think it was. Maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe that was another time. But I know I was in. I know I was in Camden. I think it was one of the Ozfests. I think they were yeah, headlining yeah. one of the Ozfests. But I, I remember that Ozzy and Bill. It was all. There were four original members. I, I remember going to that and just like losing my mind. I was <laughs> so into it. I was like dancing around. It was like it was. It was amazing. It was like this is this is Black Sabbath. This is you know, the moment that I've been waiting for, for a, for a, a long time. Yeah. Was the original black Sabbath. And they were, they sounded great. I mean, you know, you could say what you want about Ozzy and maybe, I, I don't know if I've ever heard a, a bootleg version of that show. I, I probably have it here somewhere, but caught up in the moment, listening to it as it was happening, sounded fantastic. Everybody was just completely on point. I, I love really? that. Guy. Yeah. 
All right. Oh, and let's uh, just, I want to also shout out to Bill's amazing drum fills and the it's just great, man. His drums all over that when that section kicks in in the song, it's, it's just, you know, everybody you know, shines in that song. Everybody has yeah. moments in that song where they shine. If I had to describe Bill Ward's playing to somebody, I would say he's a cross between John Bonham and Keith Moon. I would say he would be in the middle with John Bonham on one end and, and Keith Moon on the other. Keith, Keith Moon so, so, you know, just spastic and Bonham so controlled and heavy and dense. You put Bill Ward in the middle, he has attributes of both rolled into one. He's got sort of that spastic reactionary style of Keith Moon, but he also has that rock solid, dense, you know, big kick drum sound, heavy fills, same as Bonham. So, I mean, if, if you're a fan of either, you know, or both, Keith Moon and, and John Bonham and Bill Ward's your guy. <laughs> it's sure. Best of both in one and one drummer. I think. All right, then it moves into the probably their biggest song, "Paranoid." The title, the title track. Yeah, amazing. So what, yeah, what can you say about this? It's it's this is three and a half minutes. What is it? I think it's under four minutes. It's yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I'm going to say it's probably my favorite song of all time. Um, I, I, I would have to, if somebody's, it's such a hard question to answer. What's your favorite song? Oh my God. So many songs that I love, so many groups I love, so many albums that I have. And, but uh, song for song, man. I mean, I, I think uh, Paranoid just hit, hits all the main places for me. It's got, it's got the cool riff. Yeah. Uh, it's got the tempo that kind of it's a driving tempo. I love Ozzy's voice. I mean, I, I think that's just his, his best song. I love that slapback echo that that's going on. It's just subtle, but it, it's there. You hear it. It's just in the way that it combines with the tone of his voice and that riff and everything, man, it just comes together. And it's just such an incredible song. It's, it's probably my favorite, not just my favorite Black Sabbath song, probably my favorite song of all time. For sure, it's it's definitely it's definitely legendary, and even though it's it's the song that they always play live, it's a song that Ozzy always plays live. And even though when you're there at the show and it kicks in, you're you're digging it. And I remember I saw them when I when I first moved here to Tampa, and there was a kid, uh, like a 13, 14 year old kid, standing in front of me, and he was getting into the entire show and when they came out for the encore, they, they did paranoid and the kid just, just went crazy. He was air guitaring. He was going nuts and he turned around and he looked at me and he went, this is my favorite song. I was hoping they were going to play it. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought, how cool is that? Like this kid had probably just heard this album for the first time, like a year ago or something, you know? And this is like, wow his first concert, his favorite song. He, he can't wait to hear it. And yeah, it's just, a, it's a, it's a great song. And uh, you're right. Ozzy's. I love the, uh, can you help me occupy my brain? Yeah. That part. And just the driving chugging rhythm, which is such a heavy metal uh, standard thing nowadays. Back then it's just, it's so tight. Bill's in real tight on the drums. It's just got a, a cool oh, driving yeah. rhythm to yeah. it and 
Iommi's kind of weird, fuzzed out guitar solo. He's got like that effect on his guitar, that, that string yeah. effect. It just adds to the sort of weirdness of the, the subject matter. And it, Yeah, they did a, a couple of videos for this song too. One was the, I guess it was that beat club uh, video where they have the green screen and there's that big mannequin head in the background. And, <laughs> Ozzy's wearing that leather jacket. It's a little bit too small. And and these are, you know, they got the orange amps and there's like that, that uh, shag carpet drum riser thing. If memory serves, there's that, that's a full color video. And then there's another one that it's, uh, it is also, I think it's from Germany or something, but it has like, it's black and white and has that spiral background that keeps spinning while they're playing. Um, But both videos are really cool. And, this really enhanced that song visually. It, it's interesting to note this is one of two songs on this particular album that the lyrics are, are often misquoted. Um, the first is to backtrack a little bit uh, with Paranoid. When you were mentioning your the, the guy in your class that had Satan laughing spreads his wings, that's actually a lyric. But in the same song, I remember there was some confusion. People thought that end of God, end of God has struck the hour. It, it was, people thought that that was the lyric. I remember I had it, my uncle was, he was kind of put off by Black Sabbath. He, he and I, he's only a few years older than I am. And, 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 and we got that album and we both really liked it. And we listened to it and then, and I caught up with him a couple of weeks later and, and he was giving it to me, his, his copy of it, which I already had my own. He's like, here, you, you can have this. I said, what? You don't want this? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's anti, it's anti-religion. It's, 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 it's anti, uh, anti-God. It's and and end of God is, I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, that, that line where he says end of God has struck the hour. And I, I said, oh, I don't think he says that. It doesn't sound like that to me. And of course, you know, I, went to and they saw a music book at the music store that I think it was for, uh, we sold our souls for rock and roll and had, you know, uh, the war pigs was in that. And of course it had all the music, but then underneath the bars of music, it had the lyrics. Yeah. And I went and I checked that out and I said, and as, and yeah. as God yeah. has struck the hour, which is a little awkward, but when you listen to it, you, you can, it, that's what it sounds yeah. like he's singing, but it does, it's easily mis misinterpreted or misheard. Then the other is um, uh, in paranoid yeah. where, I, where the lyrics are. I tell you to enjoy end, end your life. life. Yeah, he's yeah. he's singing and I tell you to enjoy life. Right, and everybody and thought it was I tell you to end your life. End, end your life, yeah. And and for those who younger younger people out there. In the 80s, when you had the whole satanic panic and people were sort of going crazy over song lyrics, I remember Ozzy was supposed to play somewhere near where I lived and the show landed up getting canceled. But for weeks leading up to that, the editorial section of the newspaper just had some letter from an angry parent almost every day. And it, this, is, this is before social media. And uh, that was one of the main, like, people kept bringing this up about that lyric and that song, telling kids to end their life. <laughs> yeah. you know, and it wasn't, even, it wasn't even the lyric, but this is what 
all these parents were hanging their hat on to try to show that this concert shouldn't shouldn't happen in, in the yeah <clears throat> well parents just don't understand <laughs> <laughs> uh dj jazzy what was his name the fresh prince he he, he uh, will smith will smith yeah he, he yeah. knew he knew but no parents parents were never i mean then the notoriously were always sort of uh you know distance from what what kids were listening to and and then i think some of that you know served the whole dynamic in and of itself kids wanted kids want something that's exclusively their own it wouldn't quite have the same appeal if parents understood if parents you know sanctioned it and said okay let's listen to some black sabbath family time let's 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 sit down and listen to black sabbath you know kids want something that's you know their own a little bit of a rebellion maybe a lot of rebellion depending um so you know there's always that contrast between you know what, what kids are, are listening to and what they're processing and what parents are are hearing and how they're processing it and that's a good example and i think you know um there's a lot of authority that comes with, you know, when you're a teenager, you take a lot of authority from, from rock music or, you know, or your, your, your so quote unquote idols have a lot more authority uh, than your parents do at a certain age. And I think that that intimidates parents and, you know, certainly something that, that might carry a message like end your life, it would definitely send up some red flags. So I understand it, you know, but um, what's unfortunate about it is that there is such a disconnect that parents would think that uh, somebody would tell kids, would want kids to do that, would, would want their audience to take their own life, especially in that day and age. And of course, now things have gone way extreme, you know, in probably the last 20, 30 years, uh, so much so that there probably are lyrics were, you know, Oh, certain sure. extreme metal bands are telling kids to kill themselves but <laughs> you know it, it, at that time it, it, it wasn't wasn't that sort of a thing i i think that uh it was a call to arms for especially the music of black sabbath you know, you know to jump ahead and talk about children of the grave you know black sabbath's message was pretty much for there to be unity for people to you know try to change the world and, and for the youth to lead the way uh, you know there was nothing about their music that was no, it sounded kind of what could be considered evil. There really wasn't anything evil about their music. Um, you know, you look beneath the surface and, and there was actually some positive messages going on, but they also were realistic and there was, there was quite a bit of protest going on too about what was going on around them. And you take into consideration where they, where they were coming from, an industrial town where, you know, life was pretty bleak. Basically you either worked in a factory or, I don't know, you try to do something to, to get out of out of town, but in most cases people probably just stayed where they were, worked in the factory and and that was the sum total of their existence. Black Sabbath were one of the rare situations where, you know, four guys actually made it out of Birmingham, England. And, yeah, and it was the mystique and sort of the mystery around the band, the lyrics, the the sort of dark overtones the forbidden uh forbidden sound forbidden fruit thing that it is that's what attracts uh, kids i know me as uh, you hear me reference this i'd be going to catholic school and 
hearing stuff like this. It was, I hadn't never heard anything like this before. My only other reference at this point was really ACDC and KISS. And this was yeah. clearly a lot darker, a lot heavier, a lot more intense, the subject matter, the, the song titles, the, yeah. the riffing, the, the, the minor key sounds. It was, it was a different, uh, it was a different experience than uh, ACDC or KISS. And it, even though KISS maybe had, some people felt they had sort of a dark image, but it wasn't like Black Sabbath. It wasn't the same as no, Black Sabbath. No, and, no, no, no. And, and I love KISS, especially early KISS. Um, but there was a lot of showbiz with KISS. There was no showbiz with Black Sabbath. And I think that when we talk about what attracted us to the music as kids, I think it's also important to keep in mind that they weren't, they weren't really that old when they were making this music. So this is what excited them. And, uh, you know, Geezer was into to the occult, you know, um, not necessarily Satanism or anything, but just, you know, uh, uh, otherworldly type things and, you know, uh, paranormal, supernatural stuff that excited him. Uh, and likewise, as far as some of the dark images, the realism, well, that was stuff that was going on in the world. And, you know, we're coming out of basically in the summer of love where everybody was, and, you know, this gets referenced a lot in the history of Black Sabbath, where they were the antithesis of uh, the hippie flower power generation. They were like saying, wait a minute, that's, that's not what we're seeing, <laughs> you know, that that's not what's happening here. We're, we're living with the threat of, a, of an of a, atomic bomb possibly being dropped on us. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Vietnam War was raging and things were not happy, and they were reacting to that. So, you know, a lot of the darkness came from from the reality of their surroundings, and some of the other more supernatural occult type things were just ma mainly just a youthful interest in things that were cool you know and and maybe not uh, part of the mainstream at that time so I mean, these were young men creating music that they were excited by for basically more or less the same same age group you know I mean, sure. these, these weren't like 40 year old men in suits trying to construct something that they thought the kids might be into you know it, it wasn't that you know disenfranchised from from you know they, they were part of the audience they were playing music that they enjoyed and they had an audience that appreciated it that wasn't too much younger or or even older than than they were so yeah and then they shift gears into planet caravan right right i remember when i first got on the internet and found the black-sabbath.com website this is not the official black sabbath site this is joe sigler's website which has been on the internet for a very long time yeah. and one of the top frequently asked questions was who is that singing planet caravan because at the time there's that effect on ozzy's voice and i remember that being like a, like a, one of those questions that sabbath fans would argue about in the forum and talk about in the forum yeah. endlessly because nobody knew at the time who that was. I remember a lot of people speculating it was Bill Ward because I Bill thought Sings. it was Bill Ward. Yeah. I thought it was Bill Ward for the longest time, but it's, it's, it's that Leslie effect on Ozzy's voice right. that makes it sound different. 
And going back to those deluxe remasters for everybody out there, you can hear a version of Planet Caravan with Ozzy singing different lyrics and without the effect on his on his voice, which is really which is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a god. It, it's one of two songs that, and I, I, it was just recently where I heard, and you're you're mentioning those uh, remastered versions of of the, of the first, I think what is it, six Black Sabbath albums, uh, Master of Reality. Uh, to jump ahead a little bit for a second or two, um, Solitude was one I could have sworn was Bill Ward singing. Yeah, that was the other one. Yeah, like Bill Ward, but it's Ozzy. When you hear those outtakes, and you hear it, you know, just his isolated voice. It's like, yeah, that that's Ozzy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you hear his voice, you can hear it. Then you can hear it through the effect and everything, but. But it's a cool song. It's got a lot of weird little trippy things going on. There's that little, I guess it's like a synthesizer noise. There's a little acoustic piano going on in the background. Iommi's got a cool, showing his jazz influence, cool kind of clean guitar sound, jazzy, jazzy yeah. solo thing in it. The, the, the hand drums and geezer's ostinato rep repeated bass line and the spacey lyrics it's it, it's a cool it's a cool song that changes the mood a little bit of the record and i remember have that was one of the songs i hadn't heard uh, on the radio so i remember hearing that for the first time i was like wow this is this is different <laughs> yeah, but i liked it it was it was really really cool and I, I still like it i think it sits perfectly on the album it's it i love the fact that black sabbath just doesn't do one thing. And what makes Black Sabbath heavy is, is that they can do a song like Planet Caravan, a trippy song like that. And it still sounds kind of, it still sounds like them. It still sounds kind of dark, but it, it makes the other songs around it sound heavier because it's, it's just such a yeah. gear change. Yeah. Sound change. It's a great song, but it, it, what makes it great is, is where it falls in context to the, to, in, 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 in the album. It's really lush. It has a very, uh, uh, really atmospheric, and it's a great bridge um, to to Iron Man because when Iron Man comes in and that guitar, that sick guitar, you know that. Yeah, it's back to uh, earth. With such, a, such a good little like it almost lulls you into a false sense of security. Like, oh, okay, everything's calmed down now. We're going to, we're almost, the album's almost, or the side's almost over. It's, it's all going to be pretty peaceful. There's nothing heavy. And then it comes in with Iron Man. Uh, but it, it, interesting to note that you know, uh, with Iomi's playing, he, uh, and I'm sure you know this too, that Django Reinhardt was a guitar player that Tony admired, especially after his accident where he lost the tips of his fingers with Django Reinhardt had miss was missing a couple fingers in an accident. And he was a really good guitar player or finger picking stuff like that. And it was a big influence on Tony and you can hear that sort of thing going on in, in planet caravan that, you know, that really true stick uh, guitar. Yeah. Uh, jazzy phrasing and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. that's flute, the sound effect I was thinking of earlier. I think that that's a flute in there, which, which for those who don't know, Iomi plays flute. And I believe he plays it in there. And there's somewhere else. There's just like one or two other, I think, Sabbath songs where 
thought there was something else that he played flute on, but I don't remember. Uh, yeah, is it, it? It's something off a of master on this album or another album. Well, I think in Planet Caravan, I think there's like a there's there's those what I thought was like an electric keyboard sound. I think is I think there's like these flute just sort of long held out do 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 little high notes that are being played yeah, from yeah. the flute. It sounds like there's an effect on it, but yeah. I think that it's a that it's a flute. Yeah, it could be. I know uh, Tom Allen gets credit for playing some piano on that song. Um, I'm not sure in what capacity or if I even heard it, but maybe that could be what it is. Maybe it's like a Mellotron or something. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. And then it leads into that bass drum kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Iron Man, I mean, speaking of like, here was another thing, like who's that at the beginning of Iron Man that, that, that affected uh, the voice, the I am Iron Man part. And that was just, man, as a 10 year old kid who was into comic books. Oh yeah. It didn't get any, didn't get any cooler than the beginning of that with that guitar. That, that was pure pulp right there. That was pure pulp. <laughs> yeah. And that super heavy riff. And we sort of talked about this one a lot earlier with the, with the tempo changes and the jamming out section. It's, it's got a great ending too. Reminds me a little bit of uh like the ending of uh, the song Black Sabbath, the way mm-hmm. the bass comes in on a and it's got that that, that epic signature It's just a yeah. great the way that song builds. It's just it's yeah. just fantastic. Yep, the really organic the way that it builds up and, and that ending and just the way that it ends is perfect. It's like the crescendo to that finale. And that was the thing about them at this this time. It, it, nothing that they did feels forced. There's a lot of different sections in these songs, but it mm-hmm. doesn't sound forced. You hear too many bands nowadays where it sounds like things are cut and pasted in and it's just awkward changes. But But for them, there's really a lot of different things going on, a lot of movement, tempo changes, and think where that song starts and where it ends. And, but it just, it all flows. It all feels natural. It doesn't feel, you're not sitting there like, when is this going to end? It it just all makes sense. In some ways you're anticipating the next section because you know, it's like, oh man, here comes that next part. That's really, really cool. (laughs) And it's just, it's just full of, it's just full of that. It just, it flows really, really well. And it's just, and the beginning riff is, is it's up there with smoke on the water and as, as one of the most iconic very simple yeah exactly mm-hmm. it's all about the tone and the, and iomi's feel and just just the way he the way he plays it it just it, it, it what, what's another thing that's cool about that is that it's it ends the way as far as the guitar riff goes iomi's he's playing that same chord that he starts off with uh yeah, it might, yeah. Be different, might be in a different key but the band rather than bill ward just you know, kicking the, the the bass drum. You know, he's he's playing the toms. You know, and then you know, Geezer's riffing on the bass. The, the tempo is like the, the tempo behind the guitar riff or the guitar part is very similar to what he's doing in the beginning, but the the rhythm track is different, um, and and that adds really an interesting. You know, kind of brings it brings the the beginning to the end, but yet the band is 
wrapping it up in a finale sort of a way. It's, it's kind of an interesting development from the beginning to the end, you know, with one thing sort of being a constant or, or, or being a rep, repetitive part, but the band, you know, reacting to basically the way that the, you know, the song took that little journey from, from the beginning into where they are at the end. Absolutely, yeah. It's brilliant, yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, and then elect, uh, Electric Funeral, right? We're on side two now. Yep. And that heavy riff at the beginning, this was another one that I hadn't heard till I got the album, and that wah-wah pedal sound on his guitar. It's just such a doomy-sounding riff, man. That's that's just it's just awesome the way that that song kicks in and the Ozzy's lyrics and the doomsday sort of uh, lyrics of it. It's just a, it's just a great doom song. Yeah, it definitely is before, before there was doom really. Exactly. You know? Um, yeah. That sounded like a dirge. It sounded like a funeral dirge, an electric funeral. Hey, uh, is exactly what it was. It was just really uh, black, dark, and of course, another form of protest song, talking about the atomic bomb, uh, you know, in graphic detail, eyes melting to blood. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty gory, but, you know, I guess that was the point. I mean, the point was to talk about, you know, in a protest form, you know, the horrors of, of what could happen if there was an atomic, atomic bomb dropped. And it was something that they were were thinking could be a reality at any time. So, I mean, it was, it was a song that was relevant. Lyrically. Yeah, the lyrics are great. And I always loved uh, when they did the reunion live album, the version on that, Ozzy does this thing whenever that main riff comes back in the boom, boom, ba-da-da, Ozzy does this thing. It sounds like he's saying heavy, ba-da, ba-da-da, heavy. <laughs> Which I just I think is just awesome. And it's just a great song. And I love when it kicks into the fast, that frantic part. We talked a little bit about it earlier. And the end, I, I love the uh, the voice at the end. Electric funeral. Electric funeral. The way he sings that down really low is just, and then it, it slows. But again, here's that Black Sabbath thing again, that gear changes. Super frantic, super fast. And then all of a sudden, yeah. Bill does that drum fill to slow it down and bring it back into the main riff. And it's just, it's yeah. just so crushing and so heavy, it's man. Amazing. It's just great. Well, what's really cool is that, that, that beat that Bill's doing during that is, is right along with the guitar riff. He, he's playing, he's not just keeping the tempo. He's not just keeping a beat. He's playing that guitar part with, you know, multiple hits on the snare, um, working off of his ride. It's a really interesting beat. If you, if you ever listen to that, like just, you know, focus in on, on what he's playing. Cause I'm, at least one time or another, if not a few times, we've tried to play that song and, and, you know, uh, a few different times and you got to listen to what he's doing because it's, it's, it's not just, it's really unorthodox. I mean, it's, he's playing right along with that riff and it's something that's completely just like really free form. Um, really got to give him a lot of credit for that. Cause I mean, that's just thinking outside the box, just, Bill always says he was a reactionary drummer, never took a lesson, 
watched a lot of drummers, you know, had the opportunity to, to watch uh, you know, drummers like Jim Capaldi from Traffic, uh, Clive Bunker and Jethro Tull, two, two great drummers right there, especially Clive Bunker, um, also another jazz-driven drummer that was in rock, Jethro Tull. But um, really, really an outside-the-box thinker, a complete pioneer, I, I think, Bill Ward, especially on this album, just really reacting to the music, uh, feeling it and expressing it through the drums. And that, and that part in particular, I think, is one of his, one of his best moments in, in his career. And there's a lot of them, but that, that's up there for me. Uh, the way Bill always referred to himself as, like you said, a reactionary drummer or an orchestral style drummer where he would listen to Iommi's riffs and basses instead of just playing a standard drum pattern underneath them. He played along with Iommi, yeah. which I think is perfectly illustrated in, yeah. in that song. And that's, that's another similarity he shares with John Bonham. John Bonham, one of the things that, that made him such a great drummer, not only because of his, his uh, outside-the-box type of drum patterns, but also that John Bonham played with Jimmy Page. He played with the guitar riff. Um, Bill Ward does the same thing. And then somewhere in between Bill and Tony, is geezer balancing both things perfectly and but what makes bill so cool and and so um so interesting to listen to is is how he reacts to the music in particular the guitar for sure and then hand of doom starts off with the ominous geezer bass line and then another sort of swingy jazzy part from bill underneath that where he's playing on the rims of his of his drums and uh shots the rim shot thing and this and this sort of creepy creepy ozzy lyrics ozzy comes in with that sort of mid-range style voice and this has kind of a similar similar arrangement sort of as as electric funeral gets fast in the in the middle and then it drops back down Another cool song. Yeah. Um, again, it was a kind of a topical bit of a protest. I mean, there's a lot of like um, a lot of drug imagery, a lot of uh, and, and not in a very favorable light. Uh, you know, talking about heroin, uh, which was basically, and in, in the way I heard it explained, I. I think it was Geezer that was talking about it on, on a documentary that was behind the music or that classic album thing. I, I don't know. I've been kind of delving into the background of Paranoid over the last week or so, but um, explained that, you know, a lot of the soldiers were coming back while they were over in Vietnam were, were doing uh, heroin and they were coming back from the war hooked on heroin and what a horrible reality that they were living, you know, not only having to deal with the experiences of that war and things that no one should ever have to experience, but in conjunction with that now also being addicted to, to heroin, what a horrible uh, place that, that put these, these people in. And that was basically the theme of hand of doom. Hand of doom, I think was the, the, the actual like syringe going into the vein, uh, 
with the, the with the drugs that were you know being a place that enabled these soldiers to be able to cope with their surroundings. It's really unfortunate and very, very grim song. Um, but it all works. And in spite of its grimness, it's, it's a really enjoyable song to listen to. Mm-hmm. Musical movements are, are really interesting. Um, and, and the lyrics is, is you know, as, as brutal as they are, um, you know, very poetic and, and uh, you know, really interesting. Um, to take that something something dark and, and make something very creative and, and artistic from it. Sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Next, the instrumental Rat Salad. Rat Salad. We talked about this one earlier. This was another one where I hadn't heard before I got the album, and then it's a cool. It's it's like we mentioned earlier. It's Bill Ward's Moby Dick or or ginger it's like ginger baker's toad or something this yeah. was something back then that was kind of common for for drummers to have a drum solo on an album i think uh clive bunker does one i think in one of the jethro toll albums for one, I think yeah dharma one. for one right so this was a pretty common common thing for <clears throat> for drummers to do back then and uh yeah yeah, yeah it's cool yeah, I always really love the cool. guitar solo in it too. When it when it goes in, that's another one where it has sort of like a funky, jazzy feel to it. And, mm-hmm. and I only does that really cool, cool lead and geezers jamming out underneath them. It's the the the, the two parts, the guitar. Well, of course, there's the, the the place where Bill just goes off and does his improv drum solo. But um, the way that there's also that the part of the song where it's rooted in the guitar and drums, and they augment one another. Really cool. Almost kind of a big band thing. I know that uh, Bill was also influenced by Gene Krupa, some of the big band drummers, which, you know, at that time they weren't too far removed uh, chronologically from from that big band era. And those drummers were, you know, hugely influential to to the contemporary uh, rock drummers. And uh, yeah. you can hear a lot of that in, in Rat Sound. It was kind of a big band, very showcasey drums. Uh, thing going on but uh what's what's really cool about it to me is that he just keeps plugging along man and it sounds like he's gonna he's gonna (laughs) it sounds like he's gonna crash and burn at any minute Uh, but he he doesn't you know it's it's not you you can just hear that it's improvised and he doesn't know what he's doing he's just going with the moment going with the flow and, and that's what makes it so cool technically it's not you know it's like great drumming, but uh, that depends on, you know, what your criteria is. If, if, if great to you is, you know, expressive and creative, then it, it's great. If, if it's, you know, schooled and, and disciplined and, and polished, well, then it, it's not great. But it, it's 100% Bill Ward, and it fits perfectly on the album, and, and I love it. Yeah, right. and I always so, loved the... Well, two things I love in the beginning when it does a ba-da-ba-dow, and then there's a little guitar feedback. Mm-hmm. And then when he does the ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da, and the guitar keeps going up, and the bass yeah. falls it for a little bit, but then the bass breaks off and goes down on the riff while the guitar is keeps going up, and it's just 
it's just super cool. And then it busts into that sort of jazzy fusion guitar. So do, 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 and it's just, that's just super cool. Yeah. It, it, it's really cool. And, and I'm thinking about this album as a whole now, because we're almost at the end. We have, we have one more song, but at this stage, I'm looking back on all the songs that we've discussed, and I'm thinking, this is such an original-sounding album. I can't think of any song in contemporary rock music at that time that sounds like any of these songs that we've just described, um, with the possible exception of Paranoid. Paranoid kind of has a communication breakdown vibe to it, uh, but everything else, man, it, it just sounds like, this is the band playing together, exploring, you know, their abilities, being inspired by what they're hearing. They're listening to each other, is reacting to, to one another. And, and I think that really comes across in this album very effectively, probably maybe more so than any other album that I'm familiar with as far as an actual band playing live in a studio. And when you get right down to it, isn't that what a record's supposed to be? It's supposed to be, recording of a band playing live and this that this is what this sounds like but from the songwriting from the songcraft aspect of it really creative i i can't think of any other bands that that were doing this sort of thing at at this time um, no nobody was as heavy as this and then yeah. the variety within the sound you've got this as an instrumental planet caravan this the the different feels and the different different things going on. It's just a well, the album flows very well. Every song is kind of its own little island onto itself in, in some ways. So yeah, it just, it works great. And even Rat Salad, even though you might say, well, this is, I wouldn't say filler, but yeah, it's not a song that they played live for years and years and years after that. It's no. more of an in-studio in jam type of thing, but mm -hmm. it's still cool and it's still it's very cool. Yeah, it still it, works and and it still carries over that that vibe of the first album where you know it, it sounds like they're they're playing a live set. This is this is part of that. This is like the section where the the band would you know in a live setting might go off stage and and, and take a break and you know and let the drummer you know fill up. Yeah, five or ten minutes while they, they take a breather. That's sort of this part of the album. The, the album is like a live show. And, yeah, this is probably the only song on the record to me that I could see being on the first album because of what you just said. It does sound like something they might have done in their live set, and it was a chance for Bill to have a drum solo, and it got carried, didn't get used on the first album, and got carried over onto onto Paranoid, but they keep it nice and compact. It's not, I don't know how long it is, but I don't think it's... Like five minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it, it, it goes by quickly. It doesn't feel like it's them trying to fill up space on the album or something. It just sounds like something different that they wanted to put on the record and where it's placed on the record, it, it works. Yeah, it definitely does. All right, and then we've got Jack the Stripper, Fairies Wear Boots. <laughs> to take the album out. Another one that has a lot of different changes to it, yet they all work, they all flow. And another another one with a whole bunch of signature IOMI guitar 
riffs within his solos, if you will. Uh, I mean, his song starts off with a, with a guitar solo, but it's, it's one of those guitar solos that you could sing along to. It's, 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 it's an integral, integral part of the song. And the, the rhythm mm-hmm. section is just jamming and swinging on it. And uh, Ozzy's lyrics are, are, are cool. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's I, an awesome way to take the record out. Second favorite song on Paranoid is Fairies Wear Boots. First is the title track. This is the second, maybe even a tie on some days. Um, it just goes from one cool riff to the next. Starts off cool, and it's like, wow, that's a really cool riff. Then the next riff comes in, like, well, that's really cool. That, 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 that's even cooler. And then you get into third and fourth riffs, and, and, and it's just, wow. I mean, it's just building on. It just it's going. It just keeps going upward. It just gets cooler and cooler. Um, but let's talk about some of these alternate and additional song titles that were part of this album. <laughs> Jack the Stripper. Um, I, I recently saw that mentioned as that was designate, designated to be the opening passage. Yeah. So, okay. Um, and, and they, and uh, War Pigs, there's, there's Luke's Luke wall. wall. Where, what, what is that? Do you have any idea? That's what tagged on is? after that, that, the way that one is written, it's war pigs slash Luke's wall. So I always took that to be the, uh, sort of the, the end of this, the, the last two minutes of the song or whatever. I always took that to mean that that's what that was supposed to be. And Jack the Stripper is listed before Fairies Wear Boots. So I always assumed it was sort of the jamming part at the beginning yeah. of, uh, at the beginning yeah. of Fairies Wear Boots. Yeah. Which is funny because again, when I going back to where, where this all started and I was mentioning, I hadn't, I heard some of the songs on the radio and I had somewhere I had seen the song titles and I was in my mind. Uh, I just remembered this when you brought this up. I was thinking that those were, Oh wow. There's a song called Jack the stripper. There's a song called Luke's wall. And I even remember calling a college radio station before I had gotten the album. And I, I already had taped war pigs, paranoid, uh, iron man, and I remember asking the guy at the radio station, can you play Jack the Stripper or, or Luke Squall and trying to get him to play the other songs on the album so uh-huh. I could record them. And I think it was that guy that told me, he's like, it's, it's not, it, it's not an actual song. It's, it's part of, it's part of fairies wear boots. If you've heard it's fairies wear boots. It's interpolating. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. And <laughs> me as a kid, I was so embarrassed, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, this teenage college metalhead had to yeah. school it, it, me but it, it made it more interesting like it was like this this whole concept and it, it's sort of like one of those things where you know a lot of progressive rock bands were doing this too yes and genesis where they were have one long song that was you know built on you know several different movements in a 17 minute i mean that might be too long maybe you know on average for about eight or nine minutes different movements within an eight or nine minute song and having little subsets like the main song title as track three and then a b c d and then underneath d uh roman numeral <laughs> one two and three you know that's sort of thing. like a math equation yeah it's like what is all that about um but it, it's interesting i guess it's it just sort of part of the song craft where they you know let's label every different movement a it's its own title, and I and I guess that's sort of what what that applies to. Uh, and this is just, the word. Yeah, 
they, they use the word interpolating. Is that how you pronounce it? Interpolating? I don't think I've ever heard the word prior to that, and I don't think I've heard the word used after that. But maybe I'm, maybe I'm not as well read as I, as I should be. But interpolating is something that I, I only associate with Black Sabbath. Yeah, it's true. Interpolating. It's true. Yeah. And this song has another Bill Ward setting up the new tempo thing. When they come out of the, the beginning part, he does a da 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 ba da da ba 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 Yeah. He sets it up. And, yeah, he really... I, 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 I love, love... Yeah, God. Yeah. I, I love when Bill Ward swings, man, because he just really... You can just see that he just he puts his back in it, man. Uh you you can feel it you know you, you when you're listening to like especially uh oh man he, he he swings a lot but especially on fairies were a booch yeah. you know when, when you're listening to it, you can almost hear the wind coming off his arms just absolutely just and it's bringing him high you know raising him high and bringing him down <laughs> with the utmost confidence and uh I love the way the song ends, the way it just sort of fades out on the It's kind of a, I'm trying to think, is there any other song that fades out on the, on the record? I, I don't think so. I think this is the only song that fades out on the record and it's just kind of a cool way to, to take, take the record out. Yeah, I'm not a real big fan of fade outs, especially in the, you know, the first three songs. Um, I, I guess that the last song, on each side it, it's cool but yeah i think this is i think you're right this is the only song that has a fade out and it's it, it's pretty cool that it's at the very last song on the album berries wear boots so and, and it's sort of like um i think with a fade out is you, you're you're really not ending the song you know for all intents and purposes the song could be playing to infinity you know that's that's sort of the illusion that you're creating we're not really ending it it's just sort of trailing off and, you know, it could go on for another five minutes or it could go on who knows how long. Um, to be continued. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of an interesting way to end the album. And then, of course, when we move on to the next chapter, Master of Reality, um, that follows, you know, uh, Fairies Wear Boots, Sweet Leaf, pretty cool. And it wasn't Absolutely. intentional anymore, but, you know, looking at it in retrospect, yeah, it works. So, yeah, Indeed. Paranoid. Wow. What an amazing album. Um, yeah. This is probably the one that, that I really wanted to, to you know, get into. It made a huge impact on me, and I know it did you too. So this is a pretty important one for us to to discuss. You know? Yeah, it's the one that, that, that started it for me. It's, it's uh, near and dear to my heart. Still to this day, it's one of the first heaviest albums that I, that I had at that time, just coming off Kiss and ACDC, this was something different. And this really set me off into the direction of, of heavy metal. So it did for sure. It's, it's a milestone album for Black Sabbath. It's a milestone album in my metal, uh, metal life. Yep. Same here. Um, well, one thing I'm going to say, uh, you know, before we end the segment is that, when I, when I first heard this album, of course, it, it was, you know, definitely heard the heavy guitars. It was a heavy metal album, but there was a part of it that sounded very deep into 70s. Um, it, it had a, I don't want to say dated because that's sort of 
a bad way to describe it, but it, it had a very uh, historical sound to it in in where it was in 70s rock and, and you could still hear that and that's one of the things that that really makes it cool at the time when you know i was discovering a lot of other things like you mentioned acdc uh, uh what else was i listening to getting into like uh judas priest um ufo what have you um this was one of the albums that sounded like it was definitely a product of the time that it it was released studio sound um especially with, with with planet caravan that sounded very very 70s iron man not so much um paranoid song not so much um but overall there was sort of a production quality that kind of set it in that time that it was released it was a very early 70s sounding album yeah, the jamming and everything on it, yeah. the the improvisation elements, and yeah, it definitely has a. That's how bands used to do things back then. Yeah, yeah, then it's really cool. Um, but this is probably the last album that, that really has that that sound because as we as we move forward from this point on, it, it that starts to diminish a little bit, and and moves into. Well, I mean, every Black Sabbath album is different, but I, I, I think looking over their, 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 the classic era, the Aussie era, I think the first album and this album were probably most closely related to one another than anything after this, as it would follow an album, you know, like say for Master of Reality doesn't quite have the association with volume four as the first album and paranoid does I, I think the first two albums are almost like paranoid is almost like a sequel to the first album and the rest of them not so much i agree it's an observation yes all right well i think that about wraps it up for our discussion of the iconic album paranoid Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We thank you for listening. Make sure you visit our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. Leave us a comment there, what you thought of the episode. What are your thoughts on the Paranoid album? We'd love to hear them. So thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Right. Bye.